Hello and welcome to another episode of the E-Reads Podcast. My name is Liz and this is my podcast where I talk about books, authorship, and all the different parts of the creative journey. If you have ever wondered about the world of traditional publishing, this is the episode for you. I have Annie Butler Montgomery and she discusses what she's learned in over her 20 plus years of experience within this field. She's held roles as ranging from being a television sportscaster to being in journalism, a magazine writer, and just even being an author herself with multiple books. Some of the books that are under her belt are The Castle, A Light in the Desert, Wild Horses on the Salt, The Scent of Rain, and Wolfcatcher. She shares in this episode everything that she's learned in being in this field from writing books and you even take away some life lessons like how to take criticism in addition to what it's like to be in that traditional publishing space. So you won't want to miss this episode and grab your favorite blanket, a nice cup of tea and settle in as we jump right into the episode. Welcome Annie. I'm so excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. I love talking about books. Uh, oh my God. Isn't talking about books the best? Yep. So I love to welcome people by asking them what I like to call a bookish question. Okay. And so you have extensive years in this industry and things like that. So I tried to come up with a good one. And so my question is, what is a book you wish you could reread for the first time? Um, that's an interesting question for me because I didn't realize till I was in my fifties that I'm dyslexic. Wow. So I never, yeah, I ended up becoming a reading teacher and had no idea. I was just called stupid and lazy right. growing up. Cause when I was a kid, there was no word for that. So I never read, I hated to read. Wow. And, and my best friend was a very bookish girl who read all the time. And, and anyway, I never read the first book I read for pleasure was when I was, uh, 18 and I was just going into college and I was on a long airplane flight and I found the once and future King, which is the story of Camelot, the four stories of Camelot, uh, the sword and the stone, the once and future King Camelot. And I can't remember the last one, but anyway, I, I read that book on a plane and I was so enraptured by the story and the visions. It's an old book. I mean, it was written, I don't know, back in the forties or fifties. I don't know for sure, but I would like to read that again because that book made me now want to read for pleasure, which was something I had never done before. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. So follow-up question. Is that also the book that made you want to be an author? So like, how did that No, start? no, no, no. Sorry. There'll be a cat wandering through. Hope That's you don't. fine. Oh. Name. <laughs> of the cat. Um, actually, no, I had no interest in writing and, uh, but I did want to be a sportscaster. And when I was young, that was, there weren't women sportscasters. So my desire to be that, to work in that field was ridiculous. Um, and I did not know that the main, the most important thing to being a broadcaster is to be a writer. I really? didn't know that was part of the deal. No, not at all. And I, I know a lot of people look on, watch TV and they think they're just making things up. They're not. It's all scripted. And so when I finally got a job in television, I was 28. It took me that long for people to go, oh, a woman can be a sportscaster. And I had to write stories every night, um, you know, 10, 20 30 stories a day if I was doing wow. two shows. So I started writing, you know, some, on TV. Sometimes it's a minute and a half story. Sometimes it's a 15 second story. So writing stories is your job. 
And when I was nearing 40 and I was too old to be in front of a camera because, you know, women age out because they're not pretty enough anymore, um, I went into print reporting. And so I started telling longer stories, mm -hmm. you know, because I had more, more space to tell a story, more time to tell a story. So moving into novel writing just seemed like, oh, well, I'm just telling longer stories. <laughs> but no, I had never intended to be a writer ever. But when I, I went to ESPN, I worked there for a couple of years. I anchored Sports Center. And when they hired me, I asked my boss, he said, why did you hire me? And he said, because you're a really good writer. And no one had ever said that to me before. Wow. So okay, I was like, yeah. I'm a writer? Me? Dyslexic yeah. told me. And uh, yeah, so I just, and I've written thousands and thousands of stories over the years. I still, I blog every week and I write a column every week. And um, it, it's just telling stories. Now, if those stories are real short or real long, the idea, the basic ideas are exactly the same. So I accidentally fell into being an author. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I love that story. And so I'm selfishly going to pick your brain about publishing. So right. for you, did you get started at indie publishing, traditional? And um, can you share what is indie publishing? What is traditional publishing? The, yeah, the, the ugly road to publishing. Indie publishing is smaller publishers. Um, mainstream publishing is the big publishers. And they, they call them the big five. They're in right. New York City. But in fact, they're the big 300 because each one of like those, those big publishers have, you know, 40 smaller publishers that they also run. Mm -hmm. So if you are a romance writer, um, Simon & Schuster will have a romance writing or a romance section. So they have hundreds of publishers, but they're all under that big five. The rest of the publishers are called independent publishers, which just means they're smaller. Some of them are very successful. Some of them put out Pulitzer Prize winners, but the bottom line is they're smaller. Um, and most authors, most young authors will go the indie route um, or they'll go self-publishing, which is which you pay the freight, you pay for everything. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to pay for everything, and it can be very expensive. Yes. The other problem is not writing the books. Writing books is fun. We like to do that part. But the promotional parts are extremely time-consuming and not all that fun. Um, I'm required to have a website. I'm required to be on social media that I don't love, but I do. Uh, and, and the bottom line is when you're new, um, you should be grateful if any publisher wants to publish you. Right. But like right now, I have five books out. Um, they're with three different publishers, which makes my life complicated. Mostly that's my fault. Well, because I don't write in the same genre. Okay. If I wrote all romance novels, I'd probably have one publisher. Okay. But because I've written suspense, thriller, young adult fiction, historical fiction, uh, women's fiction, uh, suspense, drama, that kind of thing, I write all kinds of different books. Ironically, none of which have to do with sports, which baffles people. Um, so I have different publishers and, and it's difficult. I will say in the beginning, I, I self-published my first book, which was delightful. I held it like a baby, right? That's my first book. But did I sell many copies? No, because, you know, when you turn on the morning news and you see some author being interviewed on Good Morning America, um, that's like, whew, most of us don't ever get there. Right. We're not going to get there. So how do we get the word out about our books? There's only so many relatives and friends we have that are going to buy our books. And that's the big problem. It's the marketing and sales. The higher you go up in the publisher food chain, the more they help you with that. 
So when you're with a, uh, are you a baseball fan at all? No, but I can maybe follow your analogy. I'm going to give you an analogy. There's something called minor league baseball. Okay, we have I got you. Leagues, and then we have minor league baseball. Minor league baseball means when you're you just get out of high school and you want to play baseball, and and, and they're going to put you in A ball as opposed to Double A AA and Triple A. So those are A ball is when you're a baby mm-hmm. baseball player. When you get good enough, you move up to Double A, then Triple A, then the major leagues. Right? It's just like that in publishing. So there are A ball mm-hmm. independent publishers, which are very tiny. But if they're willing to take on the expense of selling, of, of putting your book together, giving you an, ed- an editor and giving you artwork and getting your book out there, that's great. But they're, they're limited in what they can do for you. You're not going to be on Good Morning America, right? Unless some bizarre old thing happens. Or today, if you're an influencer on, you know, on, the, on the internet, maybe you can sell books. But it's the selling and the marketing that's really very difficult. And a lot of authors are not very loquacious people. They don't necessarily want to be in front of a camera. Uh, They don't want to go out and speak to people. And you have to do those things. So I'm a little, you know, I'm a ringer. I I never met a microphone I didn't like. So I'm I'm comfortable because I was on television. And and so I got used to doing that. But it's a difficult world. Um, I will say this, please, um, don't feel badly when you are rejected. Okay. After I self-published my first book, I wrote another book, thought it was brilliant. I contacted a hundred agents. They all said no. And that was, and, and most of them didn't even respond. I mean, I, I ended up maybe 20 said, no, thank you. Right. Mm. So I threw the book in a drawer and said, I give up. And then uh, a while later, I pulled it back out. I contacted one more public, one more uh, agent and she became my agent for 14 years. The 101st one. She just retired. I'm a free agent again. I have now, I have two manuscripts I'm trying to sell and I've been turned down by 126 agents. And I have five published books out. Wow. So when you say the crazy journey of publishing, (laughs) you mean like it is not like linear. It is this and that. Wow. No, but, but that's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a hard, um, I'm a hard author to sell simply because I, as I said, I write multiple genres and I have tried. My agent said, Oh, take this book and turn it into a romance. I tried. I, I, I couldn't, I laughed through the whole thing. So um, that's, that's my issue. And I would rather write things I enjoy writing than have people say, write this way or write this thing. So um, what I would say to young authors is love the subject matter, be really into your the story itself and worry about selling it later Mm -hmm. um which isn't always easy and you have to get used to rejection don't don't get upset i mean you get to a point where you read the nice rejections oh look they said a nice thing (laughs) (laughs) and and today you know today hemingway might not get published Mm -hmm. because it used to be maybe a quarter of a million books were published in the united states every year now it's over a million every year because anybody can publish a book. You can go to Amazon publishing, put your book up there or go to any one of the um, uh, self-publishing companies. They just want your money. Um, So they will say, yeah, we'll publish your book. So there are a million books out there. So how do the readers find our books in a million? And that's not the backlisted books from last year and the year before. There are hundreds of millions of books out there. How do you get yours noticed? And that's a whole different deal. But if you're a young author and you just want to get your book out there, 
There are thousands of, of independent publishers you can you can go to. And that's probably the best way to do it now. Absolutely. Because, you know, like like you mentioned, um, it gets your foot in the door. You get to get comfortable again. You get to be like, OK, like I got this thing in my hands. I, I did this. And you yeah. weave through those nerves that might have stopped you before. Um, I also like how you talked about, you know, you wrote the book that you wanted to. And I think sometimes in talking about publishing, we often talk about writing to market. And for those listening, writing to market is kind of thinking about the the reader or, you know, the, the buying market and what uh, they're interested in. And um, it's nice to hear that you wrote the book that you wanted to and you still were able to find a publisher because sometimes that conversation doesn't go hand in hand. Right, because people people often want to piggyback on the success of other books. So um, they see something's very popular, got turned into a Netflix series. So I'll write a book about that, and then they'll publish my book. I, I maybe you can do that, but for me, that's a bore. You know, I want to write about what I'm interested in. Right. Um, but again, it is the constant rejection. I was a teacher for 20 years after I got out of TV, and people are so upset about being judged and, and rejection. Please don't go into this business if you're sensitive mm -hmm. because it's going to crush you. All right. I'm not saying the successes are great, but you know, it's just like if you play a sport or you play an instrument or something, you're not great at first. And the more you write or the more you play your instrument or play that sport, the better you get. So the idea, this is a journey, and I know young people hate to hear that, but we get better. I mean, the books I just written are much better than the books I wrote 20 years ago. Mm. So we to understand that when they reject you, it's not, it doesn't mean your book is bad. It means it's not marketable right now. That agent is now yeah, they've got too many books in that genre. Um, it really, we take it personally. And even I do sometimes now, but that is just part of being an author. And if you're going to get upset every time someone criticizes you, oh my God, working with an editor, they're going to go in and go, ah, this is take this part out. And you do, you do, you think you can't think all your words are your little babies that are perfect. They're not, <laughs> you know, you need other people to help. So that's the other thing. Being an author is not an, a, a, an individual endeavor because if some publisher wants your book, they want it for a reason. They want you to be able to work with an editor who's going to change it. They want your ideas about a cover, but in the end, they're going to design the cover. And you have to be willing to be malleable and, and accepting of criticism. And as a teacher, I know young people are not very good at criticism. <laughs> and, and in this world of publishing, you better get used to it. Mm. So a lot of great points. So like one, you talked about rejection doesn't mean that your book is bad. And I think that is really important to note because just be you've had there's a lot of authors who like they have their book right they have their manuscript they send it out and like you mentioned a hundred people say no but that hundred and first one they're like yes and you yeah. keep changing it depend on all those different no's because now you have something that's not even we don't even know what to call it so you have to stand behind your work you do. But, but again, accept criticism because quite honestly, if I send it to a publisher or, or an agent, they said, I really like the idea, but X, Y, Z, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about these. Go back and look at your manuscript and take that criticism and go, and often you go, ah, they're right. So I, I think you have to be willing to accept criticism. And, and I worry that, that 
you know, in my time, people criticize, you know, when I was a kid, people said, you know, you're not smart enough or you, you didn't do this right. Nobody got upset today. Um, everybody gets upset if you criticize them at all. And, and don't be in this business if you're that sensitive. Mm. Just don't. <laughs> Speaking of criticism, how do you know uh, what criticism to take and what to throw away, right? So like when someone is telling you to change your book, how do you know that is the right di direction? Um, I was a reporter, so I'm used to researching everything. So if someone said to me a certain thing about my manuscript, I would go online and I'd research that idea. And I would say, okay, is this just a single person? Gotcha. Maybe it was having a bad day who, who said this to me. And I don't believe that. Honestly, if they are kind enough to spend the time to actually personally respond to you and say, I liked it, but mm. first of all, that's really a big thing. Most of those people don't respond at all. They're very busy. Right. So I would take it and then I'd go online and I would, I would look up this idea and then I would determine if I should fix it. And quite honestly, mostly I take people, I take people's suggestions because I, you know, they've been in the industry. They actually work in the industry. I'm a right, I'm an author, but I don't work, actually work in that world. I mean, work in the publishing end of mm -hmm. things. So if they're telling me if I do X, Y, Z, the book would be more marketable. I will consider doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody, you just have to take your own experience and consider who the person is and the way in which they gave you the criticism, because we know criticism can come in pretty negative ways sometimes, mm -hmm. and decide what to do with it. And quite often, they're just giving you a valuable lesson that's going to help you. Thank them. Also, every single time I get rejected, I thank them. Mm. I thank you for your time and consideration, because you never know when you're going to apply to them again with a different book. You never want to burn any bridges. <laughs> well, that's just, a good point too. Yeah. Like, um, just because one manuscript doesn't get accepted, your next one might with that same. Right. right. So you don't want to say, Oh, you're a jerk. You know, you didn't want my book. No, you say, I am so grateful that you took the time and consideration to read my query letter and thank you. And that's all, that's all you need to do. No. And a lot of people I think respond negatively and you're going to, you're going to cut all your ties if you do that. Mm -hmm. So just thank them for even reading your email. Love that. <laughs> love that. And, and um, Annie, tell us, what are the five books that you have? You mentioned you have five. I do. My first book was uh, is called A Light in the Desert. And I, as I said, I was, I was a reporter and I, it was about a, a, an act of um, sabotage. A, a, an Amtrak train full of passengers was intentionally derailed in the Arizona desert. I live in Arizona and it was deadly. And um, it was considered an act of domestic terrorism and it was never solved. And it was a mess. We had military, we had sheriffs and police and reporters and, uh, you know, the tra train was off the tracks and people were, uh, one man died and there were a lot of injuries. And so it was in a very uh, strange place out in the middle of Arizona where there were religious cults and it was very um, out in the middle of nowhere. And I went out there and I covered it like it was, you know, I covered it like a, a reporter would. And I ended up writing a book about uh, that train wreck, but also about uh, post-traumatic stress. Uh, because the main character was a Vietnam veteran. And and so what I do is I take important ideas or important things that are going on in the world. Um, I've written about um, um, uh, rape, serial rapist. As a teacher, I ran into way too many, mostly young girls who were raped. And I wrote about uh, the problem of rape and that that's kind of a mystery, who's the rapist, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, I've written about archeological looting 
Um, this is Arizona. We have a lot of ancient sites that people wow. go and steal pots and things like that. Um, I was hired by a magazine to write about a man who was buried 900 years ago outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. Yeah. And very strangely, that when they dug him up, they had an artist there. Very strangely, he looked Caucasian. Now, you tell me how that's possible 900 years ago in Arizona. How could you have a man who looked sort of Caucasian and not the least bit like the Native Americans at the time? How did he get there? And he had all these fabulous funerary objects and, and crystals and, and jewelry and, and weapons. And, and so I was hired to find out who he was. So I ended up writing a novel about that. Oh, that sounds uh, interesting. We also have a wild horse problem here. We have a lot of wild horses and they're getting in the way because urban sprawl is taking over where they live. And so uh, I wrote about the wild horses. It's called Wild Horses on the Salt. And, and it's, but it's also tied in with a woman escaping domestic violence. So, uh, yeah, I write about all kinds of societal problems. Um, I wrote about a religious cult here called the, um, the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is basically the polygamists who marry little girls. I mean, their leader had 80 wives, including 12-year-olds. And that's right here in Arizona. I was shocked. I'm from the East Coast. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I went up there and pretended I didn't know who they were. And they wear prairie dresses. The women are have big weird hairdos. Have you seen them in the news? No. Ever heard of Warren Jeffs? He no, was their prophet. They believed he was Jesus. And there was abuse and torture. It was horrible. And I went up with a friend and pretended I didn't know who they were. And it was the scariest place I've ever been. Um, it was real. It was like I was transported a hundred years ago, and and uh, I interviewed a woman who escaped from there twice, and then worked to get young girls out of there, because um, of course they were marrying off little girls at like twelve, and they're all they do is make them have babies forever, like twenty babies. It's horrible. So I wrote about that. I wrote from a sixteen-year-old girl's perspective. So it's ironic that I spent most of my life in the sports world, but I don't write about sports. <laughs> But you write about all these other fascinating things that people should should hear about. And, and how can listeners find your work? How can they connect with you? Uh, my books are available just about anywhere you'd buy books. Um, and I have a website, annemontgomerywriter.com. And that's Anne with an E, annemontgomerywriter.com. All my books are there. I blog regularly. Um, and uh, yeah, you can just put my name in and it'll come up on Amazon or anywhere else. Lovely. Thank you so much um, for all these, these tidbits of knowledge. And, you know, what would your words of advice or encouragement or last thoughts be to someone if they're like, okay, I think I'm done with my manuscript. Do I go self-published? Do I go indie? Do I go traditional? Like any last words to help direct them or inspire them? I would, I would shoot really high initially, I would say, you know, my goal is to be on Good Morning America. I want a Pulitzer Prize. So in my brain, I would, I would first, if you can, try to catch on with an agent because the agents are the gatekeepers. Um, they're the ones, that's why a lot of publishers say we will only take agented submissions because they know that if an agent is going to represent you, that you've got something solid there. Right. So that's good. But not everybody will, will get an agent. You also have to figure out what is the purpose of your book? Do you want, are you writing a memoir for all your family members or about your family? Is that all you care about that you write it and all your family members have a copy? Then maybe self-publishing is for you. Okay. But um, many small publishers take, do take direct submissions. I would, you go online and say, oh, I have a historical fiction novel. 
historical fiction uh, publishers or historical fiction agents go online. They'll give you lists of hundreds of them. All you go to their websites and follow their directions exactly. Everybody wants it differently. Give us a query letter. letter. Give us the first three chapters. Give us a synopsis. Um, tell and, and they have you answer questions and stuff, and then you submit it. And you wait for months. It's months before anybody gets back to you. Don't get frustrated. Believe in your work. And I have one thing to say to aspiring young authors: yes. Do not quit your day job. <laughs> I'm serious. Because I am so fortunate that I have a teacher pension and social security and I'm fairly well off because this is not going to support you. Most people will not make a living at being an author. If you enjoy writing, do it. If you get published and end up, you know, in the big time, that's great. That's great. But most of us are not going to end up that way. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you to have a job, another job that you really like. Maybe you're writing another. Today, there are a lot of writing jobs. Yeah. And the more you write, the better you get. And so that I make myself write an article every week, that's good for me to keep going. So I recommend just keep writing. Keep writing. You're going to get rejected. Don't take it personally. Smile and say thank you. And hold on to your day job as long as you need it to pay the bills. Mm, I love that. I love that. Again, like giving us that practical knowledge in the midst of all this creativity because sometimes it's easy to romanticize and say I'm just going to write but <laughs> but, yeah, but you want people to read your work and that's that's where I get frustrated sometimes I mean I'm delighted when someone says I loved your book it's almost like you want to weep you know but but the idea is do I have higher aspirations I do would I like a Netflix series you bet okay but you it's it's a slow business you know, once once you get an agent and they start sending your book out, it's months and months and months till anybody responds. Mm -hmm. And then they go, oh, yeah, we love your book. We're going to put it out in two years. So what do you do then? Write another book. Mm -hmm. And and please don't assume that your very first book is the novel of the century. Yeah. Okay. If you send it out a hundred times and it's not going anywhere, set it aside for maybe later and write another one because the next one's going to be better. And here's the thing. If somebody really likes your second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth book, then you've got other books. They go, oh, I really like that one. Maybe we'll go back to her first book. And I think that's why independent publishers take risks on people like me. Okay. I, all my publishers, I don't know, they probably lost money on me because mm -hmm. they, have, they have paid for the publishing of my books, which means I never had to write a check. Okay. So they're banking on the hope that someday one of my books will hit. And then they'll all make money because if people like one book you wrote, they tend to read your other ones. Very true. So um, my, of course, unless you're like me where my genres are all messed up, but yeah, I, it's, it's a slow process. If you're a young person, start writing now, you're just going to get better at it. Be open to new things. I will also say, read, please read other books. You get better when you read other books. Also read about what's happening in the world. Hey, I still read the old fashioned newspaper every single day. I'm a news junkie. I, I would spend a lot of time in newsrooms. I still watch the news every day, even though it's depressing. But the bottom line is it will give you ideas about where to set your books and, and, and character development. And every time you meet somebody, I, I look at people all the time and go, mm, maybe that's a character. Some of my friends go, how did I end up in your book? I'm like, well, you know, you're fair game. Absolutely. So, 
absolutely. Always be a writer, 24 hours a day. Always, always. Sometimes I look at the sunset. We have beautiful sunsets here in Arizona. And I try to invent colors, names for the colors. I don't know. why. It's just um, to get me thinking about how I might describe every color in that sunset. Oh, that's a beautiful activity. Yeah, and and I have a home. Uh, I have a home in the Caribbean in Saint Croix, and we we get to sit on our porch and look at the Caribbean. And like the sunset, there's hundreds of colors. Mm. How do you just how do you describe them? Yeah, it's just an activity to go. What would my if I had to write this? What would it look like? Or going to the grocery store. If I had to write a scene with someone in the grocery store, what does it look like here? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? Because that's all part of writing. It, you have to take the reader and put them where you are. So all those things are important. So I guess 24 hours a day, I'm a writer. And maybe if that's important to you, that's something people should think about. I love that. Be a writer 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. My last question. I bugged you long enough. No, that's all right. <laughs> My last question is, um, I like to leave people with inspiration, something that, you know, that can inspire them to write, create whatever their, their modality is. Right. And so if you had to leave us with a word or a phrase for us to create with, what would you leave us with? Curiosity. If you are not curious, I'm curious about everything. I, I like to do lots of different things. I have a lot of different weird hobbies. I'm a mineral collector. I'm a scuba diver. I play the guitar. I like musical theater. I mean, I like to do a lot of things. Um, I think you need to be curious and you need to get out there and see what the world's like. Try new things and, and talk to people. Okay. I, I needed a cattle ranch in one of my books. So I called a cattle rancher and I said, can I come out to your cattle ranch? She said, come on out. And I learned about cattle ranching. And, and I'm just saying if I, and, and now I'm inspired by that. I went, oh, wow, what do I smell here? Cows, right? The, the point is, is that you need to be curious about the world so that your characters can also be interesting because too many, too many young writers write flat characters. There, yeah, there's, oh not much depth. <laughs> there's not much depth there. So we want to know what do your characters like to do? What do they like to eat? Where do they like to live? Where, what was their their background, you know, what made them who they are. I mean, we are all the people we are today because of the past. So, so young writers tend to make their characters not deep enough. And the more you're curious, the more curious your, your characters will become. And I think those are the big hit books. The big hit TV shows are the ones where, where we look at the characters and go, wow, I really like them. I, they're interesting. They're fascinating. So if you're curious, you will create fascinating writing. Oh, I like that. If you're curious, you'll create fascinating writing. I love that. All right, y'all. Listen, you know how it goes. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to see what I do with the prompt curiosity. I'm already having tons of ideas spurred by this conversation. Thank you so much for for sharing all of your knowledge and your exciting adventures. And um, listeners, if you missed any of the links, they will be in the episode show notes. So please go and check um, all of Annie's work there. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. You too, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy talking about books. You're going to get hurt, Pablo, said Felix the cat to his mousy friend, Pablo, who was exploring a precarious contraption. Pablo, with his large, round, mousy ears, was investigating a mouse trap. He swung under the thin metal bar and got up close to the metal springs. Felix, Pablo called, what do you think would happen 
if you put your paw right here. Pablo pointed to a brown sticky substance that smelled like peanut butter. Felix leaned in and smelled the substance and looked at the bar hanging above it. Swallowing hard, Felix said, I don't think touching that would be smart and I wouldn't do all that bouncing on it. But Pablo was curious to see what this thing does. It was also tempting because Pablo really likes peanut butter. He especially liked it when his fingers got gooey with the sweet and nutty treat. Hmm, what if I touch it a little bit? Do you think it would be okay? I don't think we should touch things we are unsure about, Felix warned as he twirled his whiskers. Okay, but what if I just took a piece from the edge? Pablo, you should leave it alone, Felix purred nervously. Pablo folded his arms. But how will I learn if I don't try? Felix stretched and purred louder. I have a bad feeling about this. I'm going to take my nap and hopefully you have found something new to play with when I get back. Felix shifted to walk away and Pablo angrily stomped his foot. But when he stomped, it was at the same time Felix's tail was in position under the trap. Pablo's stomp was forceful, causing the spring to go snap. Meow, Felix snarled as the trap clamped on his tail. Pablo was flung from the trap and landed in a pile of clothes as the humans came to investigate the chaos.